An orchestra, that was beautiful. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day again to all of the women in the room. Whether you are a mother or not, you have surely had an impact on a life, and so we celebrate you today. I'm Kristen Prasad, minister to kids and families, and I have the privilege of preaching this morning. Travis and about 70 others are wrapping up their trip in Israel. They will be back with us uh, late tomorrow evening, and Travis will be here next Sunday for Graduate Recognition Sunday. The following week, Tim Boone will be preaching. Uh, He is our Minister of Missions. And this morning, some of you tell me every week that you always want to do this, so I'm going to give you an opportunity now. If you are watching from home, pull up a little closer to the screen because this part is just for all of you. If you've lived in Huntsville for any period of time, you've noticed all of the changes that are going on in our city. Nearby, there are apartment buildings that are being constructed to accommodate our growing population. City Hall downtown is getting a new location. Places like Stove House and Campus 805 are renovated so that they can have new uses for the changing needs of our city. City planners are working hard to create a vision for the future of Huntsville, and pieces of that vision are in process everywhere we look. In a growing city, it is easy to feel small, to get lost in the crowd. And running contrary to that is the desire that is inside of each one of us to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. It's an inevitable part of the human experience that we realize that our individual lives are small and relatively insignificant. If you really take a minute to think about it, you realize there are eight billion people on this planet, and that's just right now. And even in the Metro Huntsville area, there are over 400,000 people. So we might ask ourselves, What difference does my life make in the grand scheme of things? And that question is what what drives many of us to join things. So we might join a club or a team. Maybe we join church. We might join an association. Maybe we even join a movement. Because joining together can multiply the impact of a life. One person joined with others has a greater capacity to do something meaningful. If you're in the room live this morning or you're watching by live stream or on television, there's a good chance that you're already familiar with what I like to call the great big God plan. Maybe you gave your life to Christ years ago and you're actively involved in the life of this church or another. Maybe you walk with Jesus every day. You know that God has a plan for you. Or maybe you've gotten a little lost along the way. Maybe you've been sidetracked by the demands of everyday life. Whether you're 8 or 18 or 80, when you step back, occasionally you wonder, what's my place in this big plan? And how do I discover what God wants from my life? 
When I was a kid, I lived in an old house just outside of Chicago, and I was exploring the basement. There was a closet, and inside of the closet was a set of blueprints that were for that house. And I was fascinated by these. Some of you can relate, and some of you think that's really boring, but I was fascinated by them. I would roll them out on our dining room table and study them for hours. And you discover all kinds of things about the way a house works. Like one closet backs up to another, you would have no idea because they open from different rooms. Or you can see how thick the walls need to be or how you need to leave clearance for a door to swing open into a room. Or you see that a bathroom on the second floor positioned over one on the first floor makes more sense for the purposes of plumbing. Well, there was an architect who got to dream up all of those plans in the first place, but that was where her part ended. And once the plans were approved, then other people would get involved. There was probably a contractor, there were builders, there were electricians and plumbers, and then maybe there were painters to finish the work on the inside, and maybe even landscapers to put the final touches on the outside. In the great big God plan, God is the architect of paradise. Paradise is a perfect place that has none of the pain and suffering that we experience in this life, where all of the monuments to sin and selfishness are torn down and they are replaced with gardens of grace. People from all nations will set aside their differences and live together in peace with their creator. You see, God loves us with such an intensity that we cannot comprehend it. And so he wants to offer this plan to each one of us. And God, the architect, invites each one of us to be a part of his plan. And we can move into paradise at the end, ultimately, one day, at the end of our lives, but we don't have to wait until the end to be involved. We can actually satisfy that ache that's inside of us to be part of something bigger than ourselves right now. We can join him by being the contractors and the builders, the painters and the landscapers of paradise. And as we do that, other people will want to join with us too. They'll see what we're doing and they'll want to be a part of it, which is also part of God's plan. And paradise is open to everyone. And it all hinges on Jesus, who is called in scripture, the cornerstone. When Jesus walked on earth, he knew that he was meant to be part of something bigger than himself. So he looked to his father for detailed instructions on how to live his life. And everywhere he went, he issued invitations to the people he encountered. So he saw some fishermen at the Sea of Galilee, and he invited them, come, follow me. And as he was walking down the street, he looked in a tree and saw a guy named Zacchaeus, and he invited him to host him for dinner that night in his home. And he met a Samaritan woman by the well, and he invited her to drink living water. Not everyone accepted Jesus' invitation, but many did, and they adopted their roles as the contractors and builders, the painters and landscapers 
of their time, they each had a unique role to play in God's great big plan, a unique role to fulfill. Now for you and me, discerning what that part may be is difficult. Unlike those people, we don't have Jesus audibly saying to us, come follow me. God seldom speaks to us that way, but we can use the tools that he's given us. When I was much younger, I used to believe that God had a very specific and narrow path for me to follow. I saw it as kind of a, like a, a dot-to-dot puzzle where I had to move from exactly one dot to the next to complete the picture. I wanted to be like Gideon. I love that story because Gideon wants to know God's plan and he says, God, if you do this very specific thing, then I'll know you want me to do this very specific thing in return. In return. So my best friend and I decided we were going to take this approach to our futures. So we would get on the phone that had a cord that was attached to the wall, those old fashioned kind, late at night and we would turn on the Christian radio and we would pray and we would say, God, if you want me to be an interior designer, let the next song be Amy Grant. (laughs) We were listening to Christian music in the 80s, so there was a pretty good chance that the next song was going to be Amy Grant. (laughs) Needless to say, God doesn't work that way. And he did not lay out our futures for us with this Christian version of a magic eight ball. I no longer believe that God's will is that limited. I believe that he gives each of us multiple choices that are still within his will, but that he has a direction for me that I can only discern by being in tune with his plan. And so these days, my prayers instead of being, if you do this, I'll do this, tend to sound more like, God, if you don't want me to walk through that door, then please close it firmly so that I can stay on the path where he wants me. The best way to get in tune with God's plan is to read what he says about it. This whole book is full of the great big God plan. But he also gives you and me step-by-step instructions on how to discern that plan in our own lives. In Romans 12, 1 through 2, which we have, we've already heard this morning, let's hear it again. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Anytime we hear the word therefore at the beginning of a passage, we have to back up a little bit so we understand the connection to what's coming before. So in Romans chapter 11, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, which is made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers. And he's explained to them that the Jews are God's chosen people. So imagine them like a tree. And through the work of Jesus, the Gentiles have been grafted into that tree. They have the opportunity now to be part of God's great big plan. This is the mercy, the generosity to which Paul refers in verse one, 
when he says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Next come the instructions to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Well, what exactly does that mean? We're probably familiar with the Old Testament sacrificial system. When someone sinned, their sacrifice brought them back into right standing before God. It was an imperfect system until Jesus came along and he became the once and for all sacrifice for all of mankind. And he ended this system. Where the old system involved a mandatory loss of life, the new system through Jesus involves a voluntary loss of will. Let me say that again. Where the old system involved a mandatory loss of life, the new system involves a voluntary loss of will. To align with God's plan, we become living sacrifices, submitting our wills voluntarily and our lives to God. I love the paraphrase of this verse in the message. Listen and understand it this way. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Our human inclination is toward self-interest, but nothing in the great big God plan involves self-interest. In fact, Jesus himself said that the two most important things were to love God and to love others. Everything boils down to those. <clears throat> so it's not surprising that the two things we must do in order to clearly see God's will for us involve setting ourselves aside. Verse two here indicates two very specific areas of transformation that are required to see God's plan clearly, our actions and our thoughts. So a personal renovation is in order. And the first step to any good renovation is to get rid of the old plans. In this case, the old plans are the patterns of behavior that we find all around us. I will never forget September 2007, my kid's first day of school. My dad was visiting us and our middle daughter, Kaya, came downstairs dressed and ready for school. And dad looked at her and he just chuckled and shook his head because Kaya was dressed in a light pink zip-up hoodie, a turquoise peasant skirt, white athletic ankle socks, shoes that had so much glitter, Debbie Bell would not allow them in the church, and to top it all off, she was wearing a neon yellow belt that signified her new status as a fifth grader as a safety patrol. Kaya has always had her very own sense of fashion and Alia can vouch for it because she was there and was not dressed like that. <laughs> I could have made Kaya change so that she would look more like everyone else, but I didn't. I appreciated her uniqueness. And I also knew that the next year was middle school. And middle school, if you have been away from it for a while, or if you don't know a middle schooler, 
You may have forgotten one of the defining characteristics of middle schoolers is the desire to blend in. For most kids that age, the less they are noticed, the better. Conforming to culture is a middle school survival skill. Unfortunately, some of us never outgrow that need to conform. Again, the message paraphrases is helpful here. It says, don't become so well adjusted to the culture around you that you fit into it without even thinking. How often we are guilty of mindless conformity. If you lived through the 1970s, I want you to picture in your mind the Tupperware that you had in your home. I can tell you've got it because you're laughing. It was yellow and burnt orange and chartreuse and brown. And we all thought those were the best colors. Houses got decorated with those colors. And we all thought those were the best because everyone else thought they were the best because there's no other explanation. We also thought that... We also thought that bell bottoms were the height of fashion and that blue eyeshadow and Farrah Fawcett hair were exactly what we needed to do. And we conformed to those ideas and we blended in without even really thinking about it. Little aside here, if you were here last week, you heard John Lemons issue a challenge to the people who would be in the pulpit later in the month to sing from the pulpit. And I just want to say, since I'm preaching about nonconformity, I'm not going to conform <laughs> to John's expectations for me, so I will not be singing for you. Tim, if you'd like to do that later, you certainly can. These are superficial examples, but think of the times in history when a group of people allowed their personal convictions to be buried beneath dangerous conformity. Think of the Branch Davidians in Waco, or the Nazi party members during World War II. Anytime we hear the phrase mob mentality, which is on the news an awful lot, this is what's happening. Our sense of outrage over injustice or conviction over wrong behavior is easily diluted when we believe that everyone else is doing it. When was the last time you rationalized some behavior that in your heart of hearts you knew wasn't pleasing to God? Maybe you binge-watched a show that just filled your head with junk. Or maybe you made a joke at someone else's expense. Now, I'm not in any way suggesting that we step outside of culture, only that we refuse to conform to it without even thinking about it. The more we engage in the questionable practices of our culture without thinking about it, the further we stray from the heart of God. These actions are like when you're driving and there's a misty rain that slowly clouds your windshields and it's so slow that you don't even think, I could turn on the wiper blades. And before you know it, your view is obscured. To get in sync with the great big God plan, we have to be willing to step outside of culture, to turn on the wiper blades for a clearer view. And it's not easy, but it's only when we step out of this pattern of conformity that we will have eyes to see what God has in mind for us. Renovation can be messy work, and gutting the original space is usually part of what we're doing so that we can make room for something new and beautiful. 
And sometimes it turns up some surprises, but if we're not thorough in the process, we'll regret it later. My aunt and uncle live in a condominium, and when they first moved in, they would notice carpenter ants. And they'd be here and there, you know, the, the big ones with the wings. Well, they decided to renovate their bathroom, and as they removed the old fiberglass liner from the shower, the floor was swarming with carpenter ants that were hollowing out the structure below. Now, without the renovation, the damage might have gone unchecked, and it might have caused significant issues. The renovation, though messy, was worthwhile, not just for the improvements, but because it rooted out the source of potential destruction. The renovation of our minds also involves a degree of gutting. In order to discern God's plan, to align his will with ours, we have to change our way of thinking. We have to replace it with a new way of thinking. Hebrews 12.1 admonishes us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We must set aside our preoccupation with ourselves in favor of concern for others. Romans 12.3, just the next verse here, says, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. We have to be ruthless in fighting the sin that creeps in, the thoughts that revolve around ourselves, and the motivation to do things to make ourselves look good. What goes on in your head can either poison or sweeten the things that come out of you. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to God. While the process of renovating our minds may be really hard work, it is also incredibly liberating. Imagine gutting the anxiety that plagues you and replacing it with the confidence that God has everything under control. Imagine gutting the need to impress people who would just as soon see you fail as succeed and replacing it with a desire to please God who wants what's best for you all the time. Imagine gutting the impulse for petty revenge and replacing it with efforts to seek justice for others. It won't happen overnight, but if you let him, God will transform your mind. The original word for transform in this verse is the word we translate as metamorphosis. And most people imagine when they hear that word, a caterpillar, which starts as this creepy little thing along the ground and becomes a chrysalis, and eventually it emerges with wings and takes flight. If God can orchestrate such a transformation in nature, he can do that and so much more with you. A renovated mind looks like this description in Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. My friends Roger and Meg were actively involved in our church in Richmond. They both lived lives that were transformed by God and they constantly poured into others. They taught people of all ages and gave of themselves freely. Roger told a story about a time when they were missionaries overseas. 
They had young children at the time, and one day, out of nowhere, the police showed up at their door, and they hauled Roger off to prison. Meg and the kids were very worried. They couldn't get any information about where Roger was, and he couldn't get a straight answer from the people who had arrested him. He didn't even know how long he would be detained or for what. As he sat behind bars, Roger started talking to the other inmates who were there with him. And they discovered that he was a missionary who knew and loved God. And they begged him to teach them. They soaked up everything that he said. And then they confessed that they had prayed that God would send someone to teach them. After a week or so, Roger was released without any explanation. And he left behind men whose outlook on life had changed, who had influenced others, who had hope for the future, and they were all pointed toward paradise. When he told the story, Roger asked us, are you willing to be the answer to someone else's prayer? When we say yes to being a part of God's plan, as Roger and Meg did, when we reject conformity, and when we allow our minds to be filled with goodness and grace, we become willing to answer, to be the answer to someone else's prayer. We become the contractors and builders, the painters and landscapers who are working alongside God on his plan for paradise. Whether we can see it or not, the great big God plan is in motion all around us, and we have the opportunity to join in. It will be painful and messy. You'll have to set aside your preoccupation with yourself. You may be in uncomfortable situations and have to shift your priorities. You'll very likely have to change your way of thinking. But it's worth it. At the end of the road is paradise. And along the way, you'll find meaning that you won't find anywhere else. This morning, we have some folks with us who have asked God to show them his plan, and they have heard, at least for the time being, that that involves Graffiti Church in New York City. So Tim Boone is going to come up, as well as uh, Brittany and Anne Cherie and the other members of the graffiti team, and we will have the opportunity to commission them together. <laughs> 